Welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today we are talking all about modernized opera. Everything from set changes in, to Las Vegas or New York, all the way through to actually changing the plot of classic operas. Some are good, some are bad, some will argue about whether they were. But first, let's cover a couple of announcements. You guys! We're so close to the beginning of September, which means we are days away from launching our Patreon. We're super excited. So if you're yes, joining for yes, us yes. <laughs> for the first time and you're like, what the heck is a Patreon? What is this witchcraft? So Patreon is just what it sounds like. It allows you to be a patron of our work uh, in a very simplified format that allows you to contribute at all different levels and every single level has different rewards for it and if you do a higher tier you get all the previous rewards so on and so forth we have some really fun stuff in there some that has to do with our instagram live games and we have worksheets that are going to come out and we've got mini episodes that are a little sillier than our full podcasts and we have a little more interactive options with it it's a lot of fun so we're very excited to launch it and to connect with you guys on another level yeah, so we're really excited. We have set up these different reward levels, and they're going to give you a lot of bang for your buck. A lot of bonus content, a lot of really cool and helpful things as well. And if you're not currently in a position where you can afford to be a member of Patreon, no worries. The podcast is and always will be free in here for you. So don't worry if you cannot contribute to Patreon. Keep an eye out if you want to keep up with how to learn more about our Patreon. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook. You can find us at Opera Offstage or our website, opera-offstage.com. And while we have you with us, if you are just listening for the first time or have been with us since the beginning, we would really appreciate it if you hopped over to the Apple Podcasts app and left us a review. We love hearing them. We love reading them. They help us out so much. So, you know, if you guys could take the like two minutes it takes to write a review, we would really appreciate it. Hooray! Let's debate about modernizing opera. Uh. <laughs> so first of all, let's clarify kind of our personal positions on modernized opera, because you and I are not quite on the same page. <laughs> like ever. <laughs> <laughs> For all the things Michelle and I have in common, when it comes to actually a lot of separate musical issues, we actually do sit on opposite sides <laughs> oh. of it. <laughs> well. Yeah. So I guess, well, before we talk about our positions, we should probably define what we're talking about when we're talking about modernized and modernizing opera. So what we're really looking at is not modern opera in the sense of 21st century and late 20th century operas. We're We're really talking about modernizing old classics. We're looking at people taking things like Bohem and Carmen and Wagner works and so on and so forth and updating them to make them more palatable to modern audiences. That's what we're really looking at is people who are taking the classics. I personally am of the opinion that I I don't really love holding anything sacred and you'll hear me say that a lot on the podcast now, I realize, but I... I'm always for play and for messing with things. Though I will say we'll hit a couple in these where I'll point out that I have a hard limit on how far I think you should go. But I think that people should mess with things. I think they should especially mess with settings and costumes. And I want to see people do fun things. I do not want to see a, a traditional recreation of like the original opera every single time. Yes, I would agree. I think that modern, like lightly modernizing 
productions is super fun. I think that there are a lot of really great things that can come with that. And I think it's also like in a lot of ways, I think part of the reason we do this is to make it more easily understood to audiences and more accessible and more cost effective. Of course, we know that small companies don't necessarily have the budget to do like Met level costumes and production. So we see a lot of modernization, a lot of bending of costume and time period. And I think that you know, within good measure, it's a lot of fun. And I think sometimes they are super effective productions. I have a problem with when we start tampering with it too much, primarily like when plot starts changing or the modifications are taken to such a weird or like, I don't know, counterintuitive level to where you're just kind of like, what am I watching? So I think I sit a little bit more on like the conservative side of this camp where I like a, I like a little fun and play, but, but not too much. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're probably both towards the center of this issue in terms of like we're not against updating. I'm a little more freeform where I'm like, if something's silly, there's still kind of an entertainment value in it. And Michelle's more like you risk really alienating people yeah. <laughs> by putting stuff that's too weird up on a stage, which is fair. I will say, I think that's the other problem when we talk about modernized opera, is it's very hard to express where that hard limit is until you see it and you're like, that's messed up. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do. So <laughs> the first thing we're going to hop into is talk about some of like the productions from the last 10 years or so that have really jumped out at us as like, this was a weird way to go with this. Uh, and I'm going to start with one of my favorites, which is Bohem in Space. <laughs> I find it so funny that somebody looked at the story of Bohem and was like, but what if we were in space? Because I guess that feels like the most counterintuitive place to put Bohem. You know, like the whole storyline is based on like, they're poor, they're bohemians, they're living in Paris. Like a lot of it is Paris-based ideas and Paris-based sensibilities. So to suddenly put it on a spaceship is quite the wild twist and turn. And the other thing that really gets me about this production is because it's in space and because you can't have people coming and going when you're on a spaceship, <laughs> almost the entirety of it is hallucinations, which makes no sense. That's that's a cop out. We'll have to talk about that a little it, later, but that is definitely something that we see in a lot of this. And it's just if it's the whole opera, it's not working for me. But I actually I think they're. Are, but here's the thing. I think there are operas you could put in space. I just don't think this is one of them. I think you could actually do a bunch of weird stuff with Wagner in space since so much of it is mythological that you could do celestial stuff and it wouldn't be that weird. <laughs> I, I may be pressing my luck there. But Bohem specifically makes no sense to me to put into space because I, I think that really <laughs> is one where I don't really think I even need to see Bohem outside of Paris. Well, that's what's. I like to think that, like, when they were sitting in a circle trying to come up with a, a, a spicy new version of Bohem, they were like, Paris isn't cool. You know what is cool and vibes with the kids? Space. Space. <laughs> we're single handedly saving opera by putting Bohem in space. Let's do it. Like, what? Yeah. I think that's the thing, though, is like, if you're going to adapt Bohem to another place, you almost have to just go all the way and make rent. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just, yeah, it's so tied to Parisian culture and idea that I just, I would agree with you. I think that even taking it out of Paris, like you lose, I mean, you don't lose a lot, but it's definitely like we're entering interesting territory. So then when you go to space, it just like, it's lost to me. 
I think this is one of those weird ones for me that breaks my general rule, though, of like, I don't mind, especially changing places, I think is a very effective way to modernize things. I think this is one of the few that breaks that rule for me, mostly because I could honestly see a traditional production of Bohem a thousand times and never get tired of it. I am such a hoe for Bohem. I don't share that sentiment, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but Boam in space. Ah, yes, a, a canon in the in the repertoire. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so kind of dipping into just Balls to the Walls productions. Hans Neuenfels, 2011 uh, Bayreuth Lundgren, uh, was designed as a giant laboratory rat experiment. Incredible. I guess that's a word you could use. <laughs> um, you really. I want to be a rat on stage. <laughs> okay, well, that's actually one of the things is when I was reading about this production, like everybody was like weird as heck, but rat costumes, quality. <laughs> so I'll share. <laughs> the rat costumes are so good. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, they actually are, though. I've seen the pictures. They are. And it's funny. I'll post a picture in, in our stories. So make sure you go go check out our Instagram. The costumes are pretty sick. But rats? Why? And I think that the thing that that cracks me up is, like, it's just weird. It doesn't make sense. I don't know that it necessarily, like, reflects anything that it's supposed to. Like, it's just a very confusing, weird production. And you have, like, critics who are writing about it who are trying to be so, I don't know, like, abstract with, with it. Like, they're really trying to get into the headspace of, of good old Hans. But you really realize that, like, these people don't know what's going on. And I'm just going to read you a really quick little snippet. Please do. <laughs> it just starts off and it says, We are inside a white laboratory, period. The people are rats. <laughs> the protagonists <laughs> seem to be super rats. Or perhaps not all of them. Longrin, who struggles in vain to enter the lab during the Vorspiel, and Helramunt, whose narration is accompanied by a projection of Varheit, may have been placed in this lab as part of the experiment to see what reactions they provoke, or maybe not, because nothing is entirely clear in this challenging production. The lab techs seem to be always in control, entering and exiting the lab and manipulating with the rats. And so, like, this person just, like, keeps going on about the rats, because how could you not? And then I guess, like, at one point, one of the ensemble members, a.k.a. the rats, steps on another rat's tail and rips it off. And so the little, like, rat rubber tail's kind of just, like, undulating on stage. (laughs) Somebody's got to go pick it up. And I just, like, am reading this, and I'm just asking why. Why? Why? I think the funniest thing that when we were talking about this particular production that got me was how many times you told me you came across people who kept saying it was brilliant, but also couldn't describe what the heck was happening. So people were trying to like lean into the to the avant-garde factor, but also had no clue what story they were being told. I love that. I, I just think that you really could not find anything more rich than when they say, or maybe not. Because nothing is entirely clear in this challenging production. Like, just, just <laughs> like, beautiful. This is either brilliant or the stupidest thing I've ever seen, and I honestly don't know which. I have actually had that experience before with something, and upon rewatching it, this is not an opera, did come to the conclusion that it actually was very good. A difficulty in assessing modernized opera is, like, opera has such a a culture of like this is how we do this so sometimes i think we're a little more resistant to change than we should be mm-hmm. especially in american opera 
So I think we run into that problem of being like, am I, do I dislike this because it's different or do I dislike it because it's actually bad? Yeah. Uh, I can say probably with the rap production, it was probably just bad. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think I need to assess that on a different level. I just feel like if you're going to go see a Wagner opera, as famous as it is, and you leave the opera house genuinely not knowing what you just spent, like how long is that opera? It's hours. And you have no idea what's going on when you leave? I don't know. That's not for me. It's especially atrocious in a Wagner opera where it takes 15 minutes to have a singular conversation. Right? You should very much know the plot by the time you leave. That's just like too much rats. Too many hours of rats. <laughs> too many rats. <laughs> I'm offended Too many by rats, that. not enough time. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not here for it. Oh, God. But I think that that is why people hit that weird issue, though, of like, is it art that's really brilliant in a weird way? Or is it something that's actually terrible? And it's because when we're faced with something that is a really out there take that isn't immediately clear, I, I think it kind of throws us. Like, I, I believe that sometimes we don't trust our audiences enough. I think this might have been a case of trusting your audience far too much. <laughs> I don't know. I think this is a case of just trolling your audience. <laughs> like... Just totally right. This is a, a case of putting your audience in the car and driving it off a cliff. Basically. Pranked. <laughs> Have some rats. This last example, I feel like a lot of people did end up hearing about it. Because it was right during the Me Too era. There was a company in Florence who changed the ending of Carmen. So Carmen did not die at the end of her opera. So instead of dying at the end, she ends up killing Don Jose. And other than that, like, actually, in the absence of that, it's a pretty regular production. Like, if you look at the production photos, all the costumes are, are pretty normal and everything. They really only change the plot. And actually, in a weird way, I feel like this is the one I have the most problems with. Because this one isn't really even modernizing an opera. This is, I don't like how this opera ends, so I have now changed it. I understand. This was a, a cultural... Uh, pushback in in terms of there were a bunch of femicides there were a bunch of murders of women happening in Italy at the time and so I think for them they wanted to make a production that didn't have just another dead woman at the end I mean that's a lot of opera where women are just dead by the end of the show and I understand that impulse however I think that's incredibly disingenuous to that show because the whole point of this show is that it's a tragedy that she is killed at the end. You know, she may be a flirt, but like nobody feels, I hope, nobody really believes that Carmen deserves to die. No, it's supposed, you're supposed to sympathize. That's like the yeah, whole point. <laughs> but the, that's the thing. To me, the opera still makes that point, even though she dies. It's not improved by keeping her alive. But, and this one was really controversial with opera goers. Like apparently people were shouting, kill her. At the end, which I don't think made people feel better about it. No, <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, we'll get into this more a little bit later. But I think when you're rewriting operas, I just wonder whether or not that energy should just be spent on uh, new operas. Huzzah. Yeah. You know, like write an opera to tell the story you actually want to tell. Before we get into some of those, let's talk a little bit about like what spawned some of these crazy, crazy takes. Like, what was kind of the the birthplace of all of these things? Bohem in space, rats in a lab. W where did this all start popping up? Germany. <laughs> it's the Germans. <laughs> the Germans. A lot of these weird, like, just 
I, I feel like Bohem in space, like, I don't know, it's maybe not as as radical as some of the other examples I will uh, tell you about. Think more of the rats. <laughs> We've only scratched the surface. We I, we pulled some big names and some silly stuff, but there is some weird stuff we're about to get into. Yeah. So, so think, think of the rats when I'm talking about this. But basically, it really started back in the 1920s with experimental opera in Germany. People were coming together to present opera in a way that was dramatically impactful and had less of the kind of stuffy opera costume image that we are used to or were used to seeing at that time. So we're leaning out the movement, the non-movement, the sets, the costumes, all that. And we just start to get weirder and weirder. And so moving into the 80s, especially in Germany, we have this rise of what we called Regie Theater, which basically is German for director's theater. It's a style of opera direction or theater direction in general that's still very prevalent in Europe, where basically it embodies the belief that the director's interpretation of an opera is more important than what the composer intended. So director's theater. Hans Neuenfeld is pretty well known for this style. Like he is one of those big figures in that theater style. Yeah. So in these, we see things like the rats, right? Where it's just, there is no mention, like this concept does not exist within the composer's original intent for this production. But director steps in and we just kind of see these go from being really thought-provoking and interesting and still connected and deeply rooted in the original intent to moving to just absurdism. How crazy, how wild can we make this production? I want to throw out there before we move forward real quick that some of this is also born out of like a reaction because the early early to mid-1900s in Europe is a constant cycle of different countries going in and out of dictatorships. So you do see a lot of like brutalism and dictatorships modeled in there. I think that's why you see stuff like the rats in the laboratory. It's meant to kind of mimic what society was cycling in and out of constantly. Definitely. Absolutely. Now, that, that production's from 2011. I just mean that that style of theater also really hooked into these idea of utopia dystopia. Definitely. 100%. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of war-inspired shock value productions arise in and out of different wars. One of the first like notable German productions of this Regie Theater is in 1972 of The Barber of Seville, in which a director had his protagonists enter in and out of the crotch of a huge headless female torso. I know that's awful, but it's also very funny. <laughs> that is not funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> this is me just like being so conservative but like that by the way let's just be clear that is equally something that could be a set piece in Barbara of Seville but also could be a set piece on WAP stop do not bring this into my episode <laughs> hate no no I just I really hate everything about that like uh, yeah, I'm sure that it's funny. And when you go go look up production photos, because it is it is a little bit of a good laugh for, you know, <laughs> for us uh, non-Germans. But I will say it's that's just the tip of the iceberg, y'all. We get even weirder from there. And that was 1972. And now we're in 2020. So things are getting even weirder. But 
Yeah, I mean, there's just so many different examples. There's a Harry Kupfer's another Bayreuth production of The Flying Dutchman, where, like, the whole thing is just fixated on the idea that nothing is actually happening. Like, everything is supposed to just be, like, in her mind. And, like, mm, I don't know about these types of productions. I think that there's something to be said when you strip everything away and make things more abstract, sometimes I think, honestly, that's where the opera shines. You know what I mean? Like, we don't always need all oh, yeah. the frou-frou. I think that's what I love about Willie Decker has a production of Traviata that's pretty well known at this point, but where there's a giant clock in the background the entire time. And I, and it's also got a doctor who's kind of hanging out in the background for most of the show. And it, a lot of the set pieces are a little more abstract. And I think it's beautiful. But I think the whole point of like why that one works so well in terms of modern opera is that it's all highlighting central themes of the opera. That time is running out. You know, the big floral scenes are beautiful because there's something about it that just kind of that kind of shows like being wrapped up in love to the absence of other things. Everything about it speaks to the actual show. Mm-hmm. even though it's all abstract and could be considered distracting. Yeah, I'm, I'm good for making things more abstract. I think there are a, a lot of operas where that makes things clearer and more interesting and does allow lens for the op- for the audience to look at things in a different light. <laughs> when you're just like, take away everything, everything's imagined, this is all dreamscape, then it's like, that to me is a cop-out. If your story hinges on the fact that everything is a dream or a hallucination, you're in a bad show. Yeah. Listen, they made the idea in Jacob's Ladder. That's the only time it'll ever work. That's it. That's, you don't get, almost all, always when you use that, it's a cop-out to get out of the fact that you cannot make a logistical thing happen. It, it wouldn't make sense logically for it to happen. So you make it a dream sequence or a hallucination. I would be comfortable saying that 99% of the time it's misused. Yeah, I would agree. And it's interesting because obviously, like, even though this is a Regie Theater is huge in Germany and Europe in general, it's definitely moved to the U.S., but is not as prevalent as in Germany. A lot of the productions we talk about are from Europe. It's definitely made its way here, and every opera house kind of has, like, a different stance on it. So I feel like, really, the Met has stood firm against bringing that. I was about to say, the Met would never. The Met... I think people would die if they saw the rats. You know what I, mean? I think their old donors would like just keel over. So I think, and you know, honestly, the lab rats are not even that bad considered like how actually gory and sexual they make a lot of these shows. So I think that would be the big issue. But the Met is like pretty conservative. I mean, yeah, but also let's remind ourselves that the Met did blackface until 2015 and did sort of kind of blackface until 2019. So the Met not doing rat shows really isn't the problem for the Met. Yeah, they got their own whole set of issues they gotta work out. In its own way, that is also a weird take. <laughs> yeah. Met, the Met may be too slow to modernize. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's true. <laughs> Met. Maybe too far on the other end of that curve. Yeah. Anyways, the Met has <laughs> accepted um, it in terms of major location changes. So, you know, we had Rigoletto in Las Vegas, which I thought was fun. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, some people have issue with it. But to me, like, it all still works out. It doesn't bother me. 
Like, that's, I'm okay with that. I think, like, doing... That was the moment I realized how little Rigoletto's story actually hinges on him being, like, the court fool. Yeah. I mean, like, it's a good time. The set's fun. The costumes are super cool. Like, it's a fun, colorful, engaging production. I liked it. I don't have that much beef with Rigoletto in Vegas. You know? Whatever. Live live life on the edge a little bit. But we do see a little bit more of this, like, flexibility of of time and, and place. And, like I said, I think if it's done well... Whatever. It's fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, at LA Opera, I once saw a production of Macbeth that inj- involved, like, these giant plaster heads. So all you saw was this gigantic head and, like, these little dancers' legs sticking out the bottom. Yeah. I will say that, like I said, every opera house has a different take on this type of directing and type of production. LA Opera is way more experimental. I would never say that Definitely. they put on anything that's, like, true regitata. But, like, they definitely are prone to having more interesting productions. And, you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes it it doesn't. I think one of those operas that we see manipulated all the time is flute, right? Magic flute is constantly being (laughs) thrown this way and that and the other. They did such a cool production of flute, though. Oh, the one where it's, like, all projections and they have, like, the very... uh, I wouldn't say that that's clown makeup. It looks very much like a silent movie. Yeah. I thought that that was so fun because flute is one of those operas where it's like nothing's concrete, nothing's super set. Like you could do flute wherever. Do I agree that flute should be like Star Trek or Star Wars? Eh, a little cheesy for my taste. I think you have to do fun things with flute because I think flute, if you're not careful, can be incredibly boring. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that that was super fun. But, you know, sometimes people have super creepy yikes production is like that one where pamina's freaking on chains being flung around i'm not here for that (laughs) please we have to post that youtube video oh god i'm not here for that i've done pamina and i'm telling you if i was flung around i'd be so upset it's so funny you also don't even know she's pamina yeah it's just everything yeah anyways (laughs) but that is to say i think la opera is one of those companies that even if I don't always like what they do I I think they balance new like modernizing opera well I think they they go far enough that it's interesting to see but not so far that you're like so did nobody like read the libretto <laughs> yeah they 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 have some fun stuff going on and honestly I think for somewhere like LA opera like you have the film industry right it's like in downtown LA like I think that that culture is like just a little bit more okay with seeing something like funky and weird Whereas, like, the 100% the donors at the Met probably don't feel similarly, <laughs> at least the majority not, of not them. Not as cool with it. <laughs> not not feeling, you know, the, the clown makeup and all that stuff. LA Opera's definitely found their niche, and they do fun stuff. Big fan. Yeah. But I think you bring a good point into this, which is, like, why why do we see this so prominently in Europe? Like, we definitely see productions that are... <laughs> to reuse my old phrase balls to the walls wild <laughs> whereas in america like every once in a while you'll get kind of a crazy production but it tends to be much more mild and i think that just has to do with like generally speaking america is a pretty puritanical culture even now a lot of regitata depends upon the ability to put violence and sex into shows that may or may not have that like i i would say that's the big crutch of this style is 
the belief that somehow inserting sex and violence is avant-garde by its very nature. Mm -hmm. And in America, you simply cannot do that because you depend on donors and donors can and will pull support. Whereas you have a lot more flexibility in Europe where you have some state funding, in which case... You can do whatever you want. But I, I'd, I guess I'd be curious because part of the reason this, this style is proliferating is because people sometimes do like to go see a production just for the sake of being offended by it. I think that's a cultural moment as a whole for us because I, I think that's actually still how a lot of YouTubers make a living. But I think that's part of why you don't see it so much in the U.S. I think the other big thing is that a lot of these classic operas, well, <laughs> pretty much all of these classic operas <laughs> that were that Regie Teatro is completely just reimagining <laughs> in every sense came from Europe, right? Like, that's what they grew up watching. It's totally normal. It's completely different in their culture than it is here. Whereas, like, your average American maybe has not seen Bohem. Everybody has <laughs> in Europe. Yeah, there's so much more accessibility to that art form. There's so much more understanding as a culture of the plots of these big operas, right? Like, they're not having necessarily to look up these synopses as much as we do as American audiences. So I could imagine if you've seen, like, these Mozart operas 50 million times and, like, somebody's got, like, a really whack production, like, you know, maybe I would go see it just because it'd be so different and kind of weird. Whereas I don't think that it has the same stick in the U.S. because we don't have that experience. Opera is not very big here. So we don't necessarily have that a cultural knowledge of the operas. And so I think going to see a crazy Mozart production when you don't even know the original plot is not probably going to make you come back to the opera. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Exactly. Well, and I, I, I don't think you could pull it off because, you, like you said, so many of these things accidentally end up obscuring the actual plot of the show. So if you don't know it already, you certainly aren't going to learn it through this show. And therefore, undermining that plot doesn't really make sense because the person doesn't know the plot. And I think there are a lot of issues. With, I mean, one of the interesting things with people's objections to Reggie Teatro um, is that a lot of people are like, this is never what the composer or librettist intended. Um, and that's actually a point where I would disagree with them in the, in the sense that you always have to be crystal clear 100% on the same page as the composer and librettist. Because the composer and librettist also adapted it, it from usually a play. Most of these are not fully original works in that sense. And some people change the things. I know there are a couple operas that used to be much more political but because they wanted to produce an opera in a country where uh, writing a political opera would have gotten you killed, they change it. And so I think the idea of like the purity test of like, it must be exactly what Mozart intended or else, I, I would disagree with that stricture. Yeah, I would, I would too, because then we just have the same production every time, which is cool for people yeah. who have never seen it. But like, I do like the ver variety. And I think that there are really good ways that subtle modernization actually makes it a lot easier on the audience um, and fun for even people seeing it for the first time. So, yeah. I would say actively fighting a characterization or something would also be a mistake. You know, I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I like stuff where they completely change the plot. I'm just saying that if you view a character in a slightly different way, I don't think, you know, or if you want to change where something takes place for the sake of making the plot more clear, I think there's a lot to play with there. 
I once saw a production of Don Giovanni where they decided that Don Giovanni isn't what he essentially is in modern terms, a sexual predator, <laughs> and decided that in many ways he was going to be asexual. And I was like, what? That doesn't I was like, work. it's literally like the title of the show is Don Juan. It's based on like a very classical character archetype. So there are there are so also hard lines where I'm like, why even do this show? Yeah, I think it is wrong to completely undermine the intent of the librettist and composer. I think when you're basically like rewriting your own show, that's where it's like, once again, put that energy into actually just making a new show. Yeah, even if it's a new show based on the old show, there are people who rewrite classics or or write classics from a different point of view. Which I think is legitimate. I'd rather see that than somebody try to actually, like, shoehorn an idea into a classic opera. I think the other big thing, like I brought up a little bit earlier, was that, like I said, so much of Regitayata is based around these ideas of sex and violence. I think that just throws people for a loop. And rightfully so. Because, I mean, there's definitely sex in opera, and there's definitely violence in opera. However, the violence in opera is rarely on stage, and the sex in opera is not usually graphic yeah and i don't really mind playing up either of those ideas but there does become a point where you're basically trying to like it's basically a gimmick like there's nothing inherently interesting avant-garde or artistic about sex and violence in many ways it plays to a very base human nature and so to throw them on a stage without purpose or meaning just for the sake of saying like i'm gonna make this show as violent or sexual as possible or sometimes both doesn't to me add anything yeah i think that this is once again like more obsessing over what the director wants to do than like trusting your audience because when violence when sex and especially sexual violence happens in an opera like it can happen off stage and everybody is 100 percent clear on what's going on like you don't I think, like, in some of these productions, and I mean, when we're talking about, like, sex and violence in these productions, I'm talking about, like, graphic things happening on stage, not just, like... Yeah, we're not talking about, like, somebody grabbing and pulling someone towards them. We're talking about, like, some of the stuff in here, uh, I would suggest you go and look up Heather McDonald's coverage of Abduction from the Seraglio. Yeah, we're talking about very graphic stuff that really, honestly, like, I don't feel like needs a place on the stage for these classic operas. Definitely not an abduction, (laughs) but it's just like your audience knows what's happening. They're imagining it when it's happening off stage. Like everybody's completely aware. And I think like you do kind of have a responsibility as a director, like whether or not you want to have these things shown on stage, because really like it's not necessary. I think my line is if it belongs in a burlesque show, I feel like I would be okay with it in an opera, even though I would question it. Because a burlesque show uh, is rarely full nudity. and like, But the stuff that they're putting in this particular show, especially this production of Abduction from the Seraglio, which is from 2007, is stuff you would have trouble getting into a movie. Like, you would have trouble getting this into any kind of show. So the fact that it made it to the stage as an opera is wild to me. So this is not really a puritanical thing. This is like a, I question the sense of anyone who would actually put this on the stage. Because at that point, it's almost gore in how graphic some of this stuff is. Yeah. I think one of the kind of shticks of this type of directing is that you have these operas that might not even end with a violent end. And then the director just writes in a bunch of gory stuff at the end. And you're kind of like, wait, what? Yeah, it's this inherent idea that once again... 
that there is more meaning in like this ending than the ending that is intended yeah i don't think purely going strictly by the book is necessarily the right answer but i don't think purely going with the director's initiative is the right answer i think that's what makes opera great is opera has always been a collaboration between multiple people you should wrestle with the actual text of the libretto and also the director should have their own ideas and the actor should have their own ideas because it is the mishmash of all of these people's ideas coming together that makes good opera I don't think any one person should have a full, complete control. Yeah, I agree. I think another like thing that I'll quickly side note, if you want to do some more research yourself, is there's a lot of people who are kind of tying this type of directing with kind of emerging from the way that like Quentin Tarantino's school of, of directing handles things. Like <laughs> big bloodbath. And it's kind of funny to think about, but like it is kind of the same thing. And then a lot of like these productions also have like a darker tone or a darker setting and some people are saying that that might have been inspired by just kind of like the trend of like mafia movies and film like the godfather and stuff like that when that was every single film that was coming out goodfellas was all in that vein there's still a good way to do that because i think even the rigoletto production kind of was leaning into that kind of grittier thing even though it was a very bright and colorful production i think there are a multitude of ways to bring that out without making literal violence exactly but it's interesting to see the the way that pop culture influences some of these ideas yeah, but Quentin Tarantino isn't adapting old movies. <laughs> exactly. Quentin Tarantino makes his movies. So the whole point here is if you want to have these weirdly sexually violent shows, just commission a composer. Like, make your weird sexually violent show. Go ahead. But, like, don't bastardize a Mozart production because you want all of this to show up in, in a classic show. That, I think, is opportunistic in a way... And once again, it just, it didn't, when you read through it, you can tell it doesn't really lend anything to the actual story of that production. And I could even agree with making some of the Mozart operas maybe a little bit darker, because I think sometimes there's a lot of stuff that happens in Mozart operas where in any real world, it would be a much worse situation. But obviously Mozart writes a lot of comedy. He keeps things bright. The music is very peppy, even when it's dark. So I think it's fair to like, get a little darker. I've seen some Don Giovanni productions that went a little darker than uh, I would say most productions I've seen. I think at some point you're just rewriting. So now that we've uh, <laughs> talked about the good, bad, and ugly of Regie Theater, let's talk about just the general good of modernizing opera, because we've kind of touched on it this whole time. But let's actually lay yeah. out what actually, what value there is in modernizing some of these classics. Because I don't, I don't think we should be completely hands-off. I don't think these deserve to like go the way of only classic productions. I just think Reggie Teatro has given a lot of modernized opera a bad name. But like modernizing operas can give a better context to older stories. I've seen multitudes of Shakespeare companies you know, do more modern productions of Shakespeare shows. And I think that's to the betterment. I think that helps people understand like, oh, this is a joke. Or like, oh, in like modern language, this character would be this thing. You know, uh, Michelle did a production of Don Giovanni that was set in L.A. And I think that setting it in L.A. for those characters made a ton of sense. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Don Giovanni, instead of being a Don, uh, was uh, instead of being this cultural figure, he was uh, a rock star, which for what Don Giovanni is made sense. Yeah, there, there are definitely little ways that make it more familiar. And that's a good point. Like not 
the culture at large doesn't always have this set idea on what the heck a don and a donna are. Like, we know, like, oh, okay, like, rich, powerful person. But, like, doing something and modernizing it and making it a little bit more accessible does make it easier on the audience. And I think another thing is, yeah, for some of these comedies, we don't really always understand why a joke is funny. You know what I mean? Because it's, like, old humor. It's, like, Humor drawn from like an older culture that no longer applies to us today. So I think like reworking things in a way that like modernizes the jokes and we're like able to kind of get the context better also makes it a more enjoyable experience for audiences because then they kind of actually know why they're laughing, you know? Exactly. And I think too, there's in both directions, putting things into more familiar settings can help people focus on the story over sometimes the overwhelming visuals for some of these shows. Cause sometimes you love to be overwhelmed by like how beautiful a set is, but sometimes it can be a little difficult to like, just follow the story when you're like, are they in a castle? Yeah. So sometimes putting it into a more modern setting can help people just focus on the show. But on the opposite end of that, sometimes going to some of these like more extreme sets, like we watched a production of the rake's progress, where everything looked like it had been hand-drawn. And to me, that helped highlight how absurd the show itself is. Because that show was pretty absurdist in nature. And so putting it into a setting that was so far out from anything you'd see in real life really helped me be like, okay, so this is like, this is a morality tale. And this makes sense to me that we would do this over-the-top set. So modernizing can either help people contextualize the absurdity or contextualize uh, something that might seem absurd but is actually very natural to everyday life. Yeah. And I think from a cultural standpoint, modernizing operas can help the culture at large kind of get over this idea of like, oh, opera's not for me because it's for like rich old white people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so seeing something where like Don Giovanni's in Hollywood, like something like that or, you know, anything like that makes it just a little bit more accessible and less stuffy and kind of opens it up a little bit more to the audience. Yeah. I think there are people who are immediately thrown off by anything that looks like it's a period piece. And so it's a good way to shake off that idea that all of this is old, that all of these stories are too old. I think I think modernizing can very much help people see a new show. And I don't think I don't think a majority of modernized opera, especially in America, is a bad first way to see an opera. Yeah. If it was a Reggie Teatro production, I may have a few more qualms. So I guess then the next question is like what is it that whether it's Reggie Teatro or not, can make a modernized opera bad. And I would say probably the biggest sin is changing the location or time period when the location or time period is critical to the plot. Bohème in space. <laughs> yeah, well, Bohème in space didn't work for a multitude of reasons. A, because it also, like, once again, because they're in space, they are hallucinating most of the characters, which does not make sense because... There are other people, there's like two people on the spaceship. I think it's just Marcello and Rodolfo. So it doesn't make sense that they're both hallucinating the exact same thing. Wild. <laughs> anyway, group hallucinations. But yeah, I would say like for Bohem, I think I think the time and place is pretty critical to the plot. There are definitely ways to update it. I don't know that you could take it all the way to space. Yeah. But I would say even then, anything that undermines the actual plot points of the show. Because once again... I think it was kind of silly to change the ending of Carmen because I don't think the ending of Carmen is like, oh, it was really good that they killed off that woman. The whole point is that it's a tragedy. Yes, she's an imperfect woman, but she didn't deserve to die at the end. So I think changing the ending in ways weakened that. Mm -hmm. Or desexualizing Don Giovanni. 
uh, once again, I think there there comes a point where if whatever you're doing, putting people in a, a rat lab <laughs> distracts from the actual storyline instead of enhances it, like it's a wrong path. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then I think like there's a huge difference between being inventive and then creating purely for shock value. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a whole different thing. And if you want to do something for shock value, like once again, just like do your own thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the shock value is I, I think there's a, the misunderstanding between something being inherently avant-garde or artistic and just like, I don't know, HBOing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are so many HBO shows that I think the storyline is really interesting, but I'm like, after the 10th sex scene in a singular show, I'm like, I just, I want to know the plot. <laughs> I yeah. just want to see, I just want to see the plot. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The biggest problem with the the obsession with modernizing at its heart is that it seems like almost always it is a way of avoiding putting on modern operas that actually address the issues that you're trying to shoehorn into these older shows. 2020 reminder that composers exist <laughs> today. <laughs> they're still around and they're writing a crap ton of good stuff and um, commission them. To tell the story that you want to tell. I think sometimes we get stuck on the idea that, you know, the themes, and this is true, that the themes in opera are so universal and something that very much still resonate today. But I think when we get too stuck on that and try to too broadly apply that to what we want to tell, it's just like write a new opera. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, I don't need you to rewrite Madam Butterfly to make it more appropriate, to make it less racist. I, I want you to put on productions by Asian and Asian American composers. I don't need you to retell their story. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's an important thing because I think like we try to do all these, we try to doctor all these classic operas when it's like so many Black, Indigenous, people of color related stories so many lgbtq plus stories and other modern issues aren't apparent in all of these classics and so we should just write new operas if we want to tell those stories to have better representation and so that those stories are told properly rather than just trying to like willy-nilly weave them into these classics just tell the story you want to tell the offensive part of it too is that there are so many productions that have already been written you know it, on just the level of like sexual assault there is a really cool opera called prism which won the pulitzer prize and yet i never see it being put on even though it was pretty kind of critically acclaimed and instead i saw 800 productions of don giovanni trying to address sexual assault which isn't a terrible idea. It's a good show to do that through. However, I would have much rather seen this new opera. Yeah, and so many retellings and trying to empower the rape of Lucretia, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, like, when we rewrite all of these old operas to fit more modern views, we risk alienating both old audiences and new audiences. They're usually not modern enough to pull in necessarily new audiences, and they're often pushing away old audiences who are upset about the change. And in the meantime, we unintentionally are silencing all of these marginalized voices who are trying to tell their story. Yeah. Because we are so obsessed with maintaining this idea that there was a golden age of opera and we'll never reach it again, and it will be the death of our industry if we do not get over ourselves. There will be new composers who are better. 
you have to believe that. You have to believe that people be become better with the technology, with all of the things that we have at hand. You have to believe that there are going to be great operas written in this generation. Hire Composers 2020. Heck yeah. <laughs> Commission Composers 2020. Librettists, where are you at? Let's do it. I mean, that's that's the thing that blows my mind is so many people who don't really believe that there will be a Mozart in this era. <laughs> like, there are people writing cool shows right now. And I won't say who is or is not a Mozart. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to fall into that pit hole. <laughs> I'm not going to fall into that pitfall. There are great operas being written right now. And I think that's where our focus should be. Not on how modern can we make a production, but on how can we balance a season between some really cool older productions, maybe modernized or maybe classic, and then some new opera. New opera, new opera, some new opera. Some dang new opera. Because as much as I'm pro messing around with the classics and updating them and making them fun, I am much more on the side of there being new operas shown to audiences. Yeah. Maybe you agree with us, maybe you don't. Maybe you love Reggie Teata. Either way... Give us a message. Let us know. If you've got crazy productions you want to show us, please send them. We will laugh. We will look at them together and we will chat with you about them. But I think this is an interesting topic to tackle because I think all of us have been in classic and modernized productions. And it's something we definitely all have to think about in terms of the future of our profession. So please reach out to us. You can either do that on Facebook and Instagram, which is at Opera Offstage, or through our website, which is opera-offstage.com. And please be on the lookout. We will be putting more Patreon announcements on those for you to see. And then please, if you can, take a second, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Super helpful to us. Helps people find us. Raises our, our place in the rankings. And we really, really appreciate it. So thank you guys so much. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.